The month was August. The year was 1620. Um, There was a group of individuals known as Puritans who were finding great difficulty worshiping God in the way that they desired. They would later become known to us as pilgrims, and they had uh, tried to find a worship setting in a variety of different countries. They ultimately ended up in England, where despite their best attempts, uh, they were still uh, persecuted for uh, their worship of God. And so they decided to sell all of their belongings, um, leave everything that was familiar to them, and board two ships that would take them to a new life in this new land of America. The ships they boarded were the Speedwell and the Mayflower, and so uh, together, all 102 of them uh, found themselves on these two ships. They set out uh, for this new land, but did not get very far on their journey before the Speedwell began to take on water. So the two ships met there in the ocean. The people from the Speedwell transferred over, at least most of them, to the Mayflower. They took as many of the provisions and belongings as they could to load on that ship, and the Speedwell headed back to England because of the need that was there. For the rest, they got on the Mayflower and headed off, and for 67 days, they faced difficult waters, mainly in the midst of storms that just seemed to be continuous there. Because of the, the severity and the significance of the storms, um, it put them back in their timing on when they actually landed there in Plymouth, Plymouth Rock. Um, and as a result, uh, they found themselves in a setting where winter had already begun. Uh, they, they departed from the boat, but, uh, but the temperatures had already begun to drop. There were snow flurries that were happening. And remember the group of people that are doing this. They're getting off in this place that almost no white man or a woman had been before. There is no uh, storehouse of items to draw from. There, there are no uh, shelters that have already been built. There's nobody standing there at the end of the dock with a, a flower lay and a drink to hand to them as they come on to this, this new place. They're completely on their own. And so they set aside uh, their belongings there and began to do what they could, but there was not much because winter came hard and fast. In fact, one of the most difficult winters in quite some time. And between the cold temperatures, between the incessant rain that they faced, between the disease and, and lack of food that they had, it was a brutal time for them such that 51 of the 102 people perished. Half of the group, friends, family that they had known, did not make it to the following March. But on that following March, the sun began to come out again. They began to have, see opportunity and, and hope. And despite the circumstances, even at that moment before Thanksgiving as we know it, they gathered for a time of praising God. Now, you might think, as I think, how could you praise God in the midst of that? I mean, you have almost no shelters. You've lost half of the people that you know. You still don't have much food. There's still not much there. What would you give thanks to God in a setting like that? And they found at least three things that they give thanks for that they've noted down in some of their writings. The first was they were thankful to be alive. The second thing was they were thankful to be able to worship God freely in a way that they had never before experienced in their life. And thirdly, they were thankful for these new friends that they were making, some of the Native Americans and the tribes that were there. 
And it's that attitude of finding thanks in the midst of whatever the circumstances are that, uh, that I hope will, will permeate throughout our, our time together as we look to God's word this day. Uh, it is, not surprising, going to be a sermon on thanksgiving, and uh, we're going to use as our text a Psalm 100. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn open, you can grab the pew Bible in front of you, you can pull out your Bible app. You're going to want to keep your finger there um, because we're going to come back to it uh, throughout our time. But as we begin, I want to I look at this psalm, read it through. It's not a very long psalm. And I'm going to invite you to read it with me. I'm going to put it on the screen in just a second. Your translation may be different, but if you'll use the screen, let's read together these words of praise and gratitude that we read here. In Psalm 100, we read this. Let's read together. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. We want to dive into this and, and uh, look at it in a little bit more detail. And as we do that, um, we're going to use some tools for those of you that maybe are journalism majors. Uh, when you looked at that section that was uh, talking about investigative kinds of things, you would answer those familiar questions of who, what, when, where, why, how. Well, we're going to take a look at those this day as we look at this particular psalm. And so not surprising, we begin by asking the question, who? Who is it? That is to praise God. And the response that we just read is that it's us. We are the ones that are to do that because we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the one who knows the shepherd as God's people. Above all others, we are the ones to give praise and adoration uh, to our God uh, it's important for us uh, to do that, and, and, and we know that we're called to that because as we see in John 10, Jesus himself said this, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And so that's our, our call to follow Jesus, and a part of the way that we follow him is, is by praising him. Now, it's important that, that we do that um, because one of the things that we know is that there are some counterfeit sheep out there that we need to be alert to. Uh, those who um, maybe think they're a part of the, of the flock or, or are uh, trying to creep in there to, to do some not good things that we need to be alert to. So some of them are just, I think, confused sheep. They believe that they're part of the flock. They, they have the right look. They, they, they maybe uh, own the right kind of Bible or have the, uh, the right kind of other things that are there, but there's never been that true heartfelt relationship established with God or as Scripture describes it. Their hearts are far from Him. Jesus words it this way in Matthew 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Whoop, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. These people, uh, which is us, the sheep, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. And so even though they're, they're maybe a part of the flock, in fact, maybe they have been a part of the flock their whole lives, but they've never made the decision to invite Christ into their hearts. 
And so as a result, their, their hearts really are not connected to God. They may go through all of the motions, but, but the heart's not there. And there is this other group of, uh, of counterfeit um, individuals that are really not sheep at all. Rather, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, as we've already kind of looked at there. Um, they're the ones that sort of put on that portrayal of being sheep, and yet their, their desire is not to build up the flock or to follow the shepherd. Rather, it's to try to destroy the flock And so we get these words of warning in Matthew 7.15 that says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now pay attention to that first line. Watch out for false prophets. They look like they're people of God. They look like they're men and women who have who've been inspired, led by God. And so they'll say the things, they'll, they'll do the things, they'll act the way, but we need to be alert to that. And we need to be alert for a couple of things. We need to be alert, first off, to what it is that they say and to make sure that, that their words are consistent with the entirety of Scripture. Do they align in, in all that they say with the truths that God gives to us? In 1 John For one, we read, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets, again, we see that warning, many false prophets have gone into the world. And so we need to be attuned, alert to the things that they say is is what they pass on uh, consistent with all of God's word. And the second thing we need to do is, is watch about their actions. Do their lives live out the faith that they claim to espouse? And so we read in Matthew 7, 16 and 17, by their fruit you will recognize them. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so they may again have the, have the right look, but if the life that they live is one that's filled with, with anger or you sense a, a, a residing bitterness or a frustration or a hatred or all of those things that the scripture would say are not consistent with what God's called to be about, and those should be red flags for us uh, that maybe we're in the midst of a counterfeit fit sheep rather than, than God's true flock. Who is it that's to give praise? Uh, God's people and the, the sheep of his pasture. And then we answer the question. The second one would be there, what? What is it that we're to do? Well, we've kind of already spoken to that, but just as a reminder, we're to give thanks. We're to give praise. In verse four, it says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You see, God loves it, and I mean loves it, when we give praise to him. He loves to hear words of gratitude come from our mouths to rise up from our hearts. In Ephesians, uh, the fifth chapter, the 20th verse, it says, always we're to give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, two things happen. First off, we acknowledge that God is the source of every good thing. Now, that runs contrary to, uh, to what we hear in our society or, or, or maybe what we're even inclined to believe in our own hearts. We tend to give ourselves credit uh, for a lot of things, maybe most things. And when we give praise to God, we're saying to him, we recognize, God, that you are the source, that you're the author, that you're the one who, who provides every good thing. And, and that's a part of what God finds great peace and, and, and joy in. So we read, for example, in James 1, this, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. And as we do that, as we acknowledge that God is the giver of every good thing, in almost the same breath, we're also admitting to ourselves that we're not the source of every good thing. 
that God is the one who provides for us. Again, back to Ephesians in the second chapter, the 10th verse. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's handiwork. We've been created. And so we are the creation. We are not the creator. And so we look to the creator, the one who is that offer. We give thanks to him for all of those things that he provides. God is, in fact, one who is constantly there uh, providing for us if we'll look to him. But once again, that's not always what fits with our, our human nature. I, I came across this study that uh, was begun a number of years ago. In fact, in 1954, they asked 10,000 adolescents, uh, they asked them this question, do you view yourselves to be a very important person? Do you view yourself to be a very important person? 10,000 adolescents. Of those 10,000, 12% said yes. They viewed themselves as very important persons. They decided to replicate this study a number of years later in 1989. They asked the same question to another group of adolescents, and this time, 80% of boys and 77% of girls said yes. We view ourselves as very important persons. That's a pretty significant jump. Then they did it one more time, uh, just back in 2016. They changed the wording a little bit to, to fit with the times, a little bit more contemporary. And they asked the, the, the adolescents this time, do you view yourself as an extraordinary person? And 93% of young people said yes, that they saw themselves as extraordinary people. Now, there's a part of us that I think is glad to see that. It, it means that our, our young people have a good sense of self-value and of worth within. But on the other side of that coin is, if these people already think that they're extraordinary, exceptional, what's the need for a God in their life? If, they, if they're already at the, at the top of the group, if they always already view themselves as sort of, of, of one of, of just a handful, what's the need of having a Savior? And, and so we have to constantly walk that fine line between grace and truth. Truth being that we are all sinners, that we've all fallen short, that we all have that, that, that nature within us that distances us from God. The grace being that God makes a provision for that. He did that through his son who came and gave his life that we might be in eternal relationship with him. And so even as we, we give thanks, we need to make sure that um, while we recognize that we have been wonderfully made by God, that, um, that he is the creator and that we are the created. Uh, we've talked about who, it's us as the sheep of his pasture. We've talked about what that we're called to do, we're to give thanks. The third thing is, is the how. How is it that we are to praise and to worship God? And we're given a couple of different ways here. The first one that we read about in the text is that we're to shout for joy. We're to shout for joy. You see that the house kind of fall into two categories. This first category, shouting for joy, at least in my mind, it demonstrates somebody who's very excited and enthusiastic and exuberant about their faith. They're the people that, that raise their hands in worship or, or maybe move their hands back and forth. They're the ones that you just sense the excitement that comes out of them whenever they gather together as God's people. 
And you've probably seen that. I've seen this in a number of different settings in my life. On the few occasions when I've had a chance to go to Africa and have been involved in worship there a few times, they just get so engaged in the worship experience there. I think even in our own country of the times that I've been to a black church, there's just a level of excitement that goes with that that maybe is not quite as prevalent in the more... I can say this white uh, church um, that, that exists. And it's not that we can't be excited. We can be excited, every one of us in this room, and I know that because I know that if your football team was playing right now and that team was uh, within six points of winning the game, there's a minute left and you've got the ball, I know I would see excitement in your faces. It's not that we can't be excited. It's just that for some of us, there's more of a subdued, more of a reserved nature. Um, skipped over the side here, but it, it, we're more of those that kind of worship with gladness. The, the praising of his name is a, a little bit more calm in nature. And it's not that we're not excited about God. We are excited about God. It's just, at least for some of us, we view it as more of a, of a personal thing, more of a sacred kind of thing. And you know what? Both of those kinds of worship, God's happy with those. As long as it's authentic, as long as it's genuine to who you are, God finds great pleasure in that. Uh, The only kind of caveat, the only thing that we we need to make sure is that whatever our style is, that a part of that offers praise to God. So we read in Psalm 150 these words, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Who? Who? is us, as the sheep of his pasture. The, the what? We're called to praise God. How? Uh, well, however God has wired us to do that, we just need to make sure that we're engaged in that. Uh, fourthly, we look at the why question. Why is it that we're called to praise God? And again, we see a, a, a couple of, or actually three different answers to this. The first one is we, we praise him according to text because God is good. The 100th Psalm tells us that God is indeed good. Now, it's interesting, if you go to the Hebrew in this particular passage, you see that the Hebrew word is tob. Um, in fact, it's the word for good throughout most of, of the Old Testament. And so anytime it talks about God and his, his goodness, it's, it's in reference to this particular word. And so we think back to the, the act of creation, when God was, was creating all of the things that are a part of our universe. We read on different days that he did different things, and that he would look back at the end of the day, and God would say, it is tob. Um, it is good. Or we think of the, the Psalm 34 uh, that tells us this, that uh, we are to praise God, that we're to love him, that we're to taste and see that the Lord is tob. Yes, that he is good. God demonstrates his goodness uh, to us all of the time. It's just oftentimes we fail to see it or acknowledge it for what it is. But it's happening all around us because God is at work in in ways and places and times far beyond our understanding. Let me give you an example of that, and and as I do that, I'll go back to our pilgrim story for today. Remember, the the people have come out of this devastating winter where they've lost half of their number. Uh, Things are still, at least it would be to me, uh, looking kind of on the bleak side there. But despite that, they're uh, excited about this new group of people that they've met, these Native Americans. And one of those Native Americans was an individual named Squanto. Now, the story of Squanto's life is uh, pretty fascinating, actually. Squanto um, was uh, a member of, uh, of a tribe that had met some European individuals prior 
In fact, he had so impressed the trappers that had come over to that part before that, that one of them had taken Squanto back with him to England. For three years, Squanto had lived in England, being taken around to different parties and different government kinds of things. And in the process, Squanto learned a lot about the English culture, began to learn the English language. And then at the end of three years, they returned Squanto back to his tribe here in America. It was very shortly after Squanto got back to America that he was kidnapped by another sea captain who took him to Spain. Now, fortunately, um, the one that bought him in Spain was a Spanish monk. The Spanish monk was very kind, ended up giving Squanto his freedom, taught him as a part of, of being present, uh, different language skills, again, building on English as one of those. And, and then as wanting to release him, he wanted to help Squanto get back uh, to his home country. Couldn't do that directly from Spain. It required going back to England, where Squanto went once again for two more years, learning more about the culture, learning more about the language. And then finally, at the end of that, 10 years' time has passed, Squanto returns back uh, to America. So you have this individual that's had all of this exposure and all of this teaching. And so think about it for just a moment. You're here with the pilgrims. You have had a devastating winter. You are tired and you are hungry. And it's not that you've given up on God, but it sure seems like he's very distant from you. You wonder where the the hope is going to come from. And you're praying and you're thinking about these things and you're standing there to clearing. And out of the clearing walks Squanto. And he says, cheerio, good to see you folks. Welcome to our homeland. (laughs) Well, he probably didn't say that. Um, But he spoke very good English. And imagine what it would be like in the midst of of this very basic rural uh, setting to find someone, anyone, who could speak English. And Squanto was that person. You see, God is indeed good. For, uh, for 10 years plus, he had been at work laying plans in place, moving Squanto to just where he needed to be so that he can come back and at one point, some point, uh, be there uh, to help uh, these pilgrims. And the reality is that without Squanto, it's doubtful that the pilgrims would have survived again. Squanto was the one that taught them how to plant crops there in that setting. He's the one that taught them what crops to plant. Squanto's the one that introduced them to some of the other tribes there in the area that provided some of the food items that they need. Folks, God is at work all around us, oftentimes in ways that we don't understand, that we maybe will never know about. But he's doing those things because he's a good God. A second reason that we give thanks to God is because his love endures forever. His love endures forever. Um, That love was there in the book of Genesis as God gave uh, life to creation. It's there in the book of Revelation. We'll have that opportunity to return to God's presence, and it's everywhere in between. And God isn't just a, a representation of love. God is love. He's the essence of love. And we know that because scripture tells us that. In the book of uh, 1 John, the 14th chapter, the first part there of the 16th verse, it says, God is love. And so everywhere there's love, there is God. As we continue on there with that 16th verse, it goes on to say, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God is in them. So why is it that we praise God? We praise God because he's good. We praise God because love endures forever. 
And finally, the verse tells us, the psalm tells us that we praise God because God's faithfulness continues through all generations, through all generations. In the the summer of uh, 1621, as they're coming out of that terrible, terrible winter, uh, the the pilgrims, again, weren't quite sure what was going to happen. They either had not quite meant squanto yet or there's not much that had transpired. But as the summer went on and they moved into fall, they, they ended up having a very good harvest there. Now, again, they still don't have much in terms of structures. They still don't have much in terms of reserve. They still have to deal oh, with disease and those kinds of things. But we read in one of the writings of a pilgrim by the name of Edward Winslow these words. He said, God be praised for we had a good increase of Indian corn. By the goodness of God, we are far from want. I don't know that we would have said that if we had lived in those places. Uh, They've got basically one pair of clothes that they wear. They've got almost nothing in reserve. The the conditions are, are brutal. And again, they don't know what's right around the corner in the next few months. And yet, the attitude of Edward and I think of probably all of the pilgrims then was one of gratitude for God despite the, the limitations that they had. Their thinking was that they were far from want. And if that's true from pilgrims who lived in 1621, imagine what our hearts ought to be here as Americans living in, in, in this particular year, 2023. Folks, God has blessed us so richly and so abundantly. His faithfulness continues on as it has through all generations. And then there's just two more points in these, in these questions that we're to ask, and I've kind of lumped these together, the where and the when, because they sort of share the, the same answer. When is it that we're to praise God? Well, we're to praise God today and tomorrow and every day. And where is it that we're to praise God? Wherever we find ourselves, home, work, on vacation, wherever it might be, we're to praise God. As we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus And so my hope is that as we move out of our time today, we'll wrap up in the service in just a few moments. We'll go down and share in a wonderful meal together, and then you'll go home and do whatever it is that this week holds, that you'll give some thoughts sometime throughout this week about uh, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the provision of God, and find yourself uh, maybe inclined, um, challenged, inspired uh, to pause at different points throughout the week and far beyond that to express our gratitude to the God who deserves that. I want to wrap up with just one final story, and then I'll, I'll be done. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Chuck Swindoll. You may have read some of his books or heard some of his sermons very well known. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, in one of his, his books, writes of a time when he was visiting a veteran there in a VA hospital. He was walking into the hospital. He was kind of walking in front of in the grassy area before the entrance and as he's walking in that grassy area out walks a little boy and the little boy's mom sees them and they're off to the side and and as they're walking away one of the orderlies from the hospital there runs up um, and gives the boy a little gift that's been wrapped in paper the boy rips open the, the gift and sees that it's a model airplane it's a wooden airplane that looked uh, perhaps something like this Well, you have to take my word for it. It's a really good little, there we go, um, uh, that looks something like this. 
and the little boy hugs it to his chest because he's so excited, and then he runs over to the orderly and throws his arms around the orderly's leg because he's so appreciative of getting this. But let me take you back to the beginning of the story. You see, this little boy's dad was in the hospital because he had seen combat and had been severely injured. He'd been at this hospital for a number of months in the midst of rehabilitation as well as additional surgeries. He still had a number of months to go. And because of the severity of his injuries and the other men and women that were up there on, on the ward, this little boy could not come up and see the dad. Now, he could talk to the dad. There was a special phone down in the lobby area that he could pick it up and, and talk with the dad, but he couldn't go and see him. And, and for the dad, this sort of just tugged at his heart. He loved that he could visit with his son once or twice a week, but it, it just tore him up that he couldn't ever see uh, this little boy of his. And so he decided that he would make this little boy a gift. Part of what he needed to do was work on things that would, would enhance his dexterity. And so um, he decided he would build a model. His little boy loved planes. He would build a model. He couldn't navigate the little plastic pieces that go with a plastic model, but he could handle these bigger pieces. He brought this, got this kit of a plane that you see similar to that, pieces that would just allow a little bit of gluing or some, some nailing to, to put it together. And so what would have taken you or me uh, perhaps an hour it took him a week, but he finally finished it. And he wrapped it up again, very labored for him, but he did it, wrapped it up in some paper and set it aside, excited that he would be able to have this given to his son the next time the son came. Well, the son comes with the mom, talks on the phone, he gets engaged, this dad gets engaged in the conversation, says goodbye, hangs up, and then he realizes he's got this gift for his son. So he shouts to one of the elderlies, hey, orderlies, hey, would you be willing to run this down to my little boy? The orderly said, I'd be happy to do that. Grabs the package, runs down uh, to the little boy, and it's there that we, we reconnect the story that I started with. The orderly runs up to the little boy. The little boy opens up the package, sees this plane, tugs it in his, to his heart. And, and all of this, the dad is able to see because he's up on the fifth floor looking at the window at the end of the hall. Except the dad knew that he was the one that had given it to this little boy, not the, the orderly. And so when the, the little boy went to wrap his arms around the leg of this orderly, um, the dad's waving up from a, uh, the window trying to say to his son, no, 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 I'm the one that gave that to you. I'm the one, son, I'm the one that, that loves you. That I'm the one that provided that. And the little boy couldn't see what was happening. And so he's hugging on to the, the leg of this orderly. Now, probably only for a second or two, and then the, the orderly kindly unwrapped the little boy from his leg and said, no, son, this isn't from me, it's from your dad. And he pointed up to the fifth story window. And the dad, who was still waving, sees his son and, and realizes the son now knows what's, what's going on, and the son shouts out, and the dad couldn't hear because of the distance and the glass, but he could tell what the son was saying. And the little boy said, dad, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love this plane. I hope you can come home soon, Dad. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as this dad is hearing uh, what the little boy or seeing what the little boy is saying, the tears just started to, to roll down his cheek. And Chuck Swindoll said it, he wondered that sometimes if that's not how we interact with our Father in heaven, God does so much for us. He gives us these wonderful gifts. He, he, he provides sacrificially in the very life of his son, and yet it's not him that we give credit to. Maybe we give credit to other people. Maybe oh, we acknowledge the credit ourselves, but we forget about the Father. Folks, may we not fall into that trap. 
May we instead give thanks to the one who is deserving of our gratitude, our praise, our worship. This day, this Thanksgiving, and every day. Amen.